Metaphor is a word comparison that is made without actually pointing out a similarity between the words. They are powerful communication tools. The Bible uses them a lot to proclaim God's message. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. We're starting a new series called Metaphors for You. God is spoken of as rock, father, and shelter. Jesus is seen as living water, light, and bread. The Spirit is seen as both wind and fire. The right metaphor can help us see God more clearly and give us encouragement and direction. They can also be a challenge that can change our hearts and fill our minds with unshakable hope. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Hey, uh, as we start, I I want you to answer a question for me. Um, I don't want you to answer it out loud. Okay, I prefer that you keep this answer in your head. Uh, but, I, but I want you to answer this question. Why did I come to church today? Okay, like, no, I really want you to think about this. Like, why did I come to church today? Because I, I don't know if you guys really ever think about this, uh, but there are lots of different reasons why people might come to church. Um, I, I was thinking of some, some answers this week. Um, matter of fact, some of you, in first service, uh, Larry Powell got here, saw that I had the mic on and turned around like he was leaving. Okay. And so some of you might literally be asking myself, why did I come to church today? I didn't know Rob wasn't going to be here. Okay. But in fairness to me, okay, when you see me, you know what that means? That means you're going to get out of church five to 10 minutes early and you're going to beat the Baptists, the Methodists, and the Lutherans to the lunch places today. Okay. So you should be happy to see me. But anyway, enough about me. Why did you come to church today? There are lots of different answers, like I mentioned. Some of you came maybe because you want to experience God. You want to know God, and you want to experience God. Some of you might have come this morning simply because you love to worship. You love to sing. And so like the last 20, 25 minutes have been the highlight of of your morning. Some of you love being taught about Scripture, and that's why you come to church. Some of you, maybe you just come because you you want to see your friends. This is where your friends are, so this is where, where you came. Uh, I don't want any elbowing here going on during this one, but some of you might be here this morning because your husband or your wife drug you to church today, okay? Like, you might only be at church because your husband or your wife is like, please, come to church with me, okay? Uh, uh, some people might be here today uh, simply because their parents made them come. I had a couple of young people in first service tell me that's why they were here. I was like, thank you very much for being here. Um, but so maybe that's why. Maybe you're here this morning and you didn't have a choice. Your parents made you come to church. Um, maybe it's because just church is what you always do. You know, as long as you can remember, you've got up on Sunday morning, you've gone to church, and you wouldn't know what to do with yourself if you didn't come to church on Sunday morning. But then there's some other reasons. Maybe there's some people here today because, you know what, you're just going through a very difficult time in your life. And you don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to come to church and see if I can find some answers there. Or maybe you're here this morning because you're like, man, there's something missing in my life, and I just can't seem to fill it on my own. Maybe I should go there. Maybe you're here because, you know, you've got a friend who's been begging you for months and months, you know, to come to church, and you're finally giving in. Maybe you're here today because you got a text message from me this week. Morning, Josh. Good to see you, buddy. Now I've embarrassed poor Josh. But anyway, 
So there's lots of different reasons why you might come to church. Um, I started coming to church in uh, somewhere between 1986 and 1987 is when I started attending West Valley Christian Church. Now, I honestly could not tell you what year it was. Um, as I get older, I am less and less certain about dates in my life. Okay, I know I was born in 1970, and I know I got married in 1992. All other dates that come out of my mouth are suspect, okay? So somewhere between 1986 and 1987, um, I started coming to church, and to be honest with you guys this morning, I did not come to church because I wanted to worship God. I didn't come to church because I wanted to, to sing or because I wanted to worship God. I didn't come because my parents made me come. My parents didn't go to church. Like, I'm so happy now my parents come to church. My parents were in first service today. But when I was a teenager, my parents didn't go to church. So my parents never drug me to church. So that isn't why I started coming. I started coming because the truth was I just was lonely. In my life, I was lonely. Like, I had friends. I had people that I hung out with. But I didn't have anybody that I would say was like a good friend or a real friend. And so, and I, I honestly don't even know exactly why I went to church to find real friends. But that's why. That's, that's why I started coming to church. Matter of fact, so in 1985, I started coming to school here. And on Saturday mornings, uh, there were a bunch of guys that would play basketball on Saturday mornings. Some of them were, were us high school guys. Some of them were some older guys from the church. But we would play basketball on Saturday mornings. Although it was somewhat ironic, this week as I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about these older guys that I played basketball with back then, I'm 48 years old. And as I was thinking about the fact that when I was 15 and 16 playing basketball with these older guys, <laughs> they were guys that were probably in their 20s and early 30s, okay? And so I don't even know what that makes me now. Um, but these older guys, they were from church, and they would come and play. And so for me, it was so easy for me to come to church because the guys that I had met at school went to church here. I met these guys from church that came and played basketball with us. And so there's a Carl's Jr. up at Platt um, and, uh, and like Victory. I don't know if you've ever been there. I used to live there, okay? Like every Saturday morning after playing basketball, we would go to that Carl's Jr. and we would get somebody and we would just hang out there. When I was a youth pastor at this church, I kept that Carl's Jr. in business, okay? Because I used to take kids to that Carl's Jr. all the time. But so for me, that's kind of the, re the reason I ended up here. That's how I got here. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I was just looking for some friends. And it's kind of funny. I, I love to tell this story. And, and forgive me if you've heard this, but it just reveals how clueless I really was when I started coming to church. Because when I started coming to church, I went to a Sunday school class that a guy named Steve Cook and Steve Benkert, who was in first service, uh, Steve Benkert was one of the teachers of that class. And every single week I would go to this class, and I'm like, dude, why are these guys always talking about Jesus? Like, can we talk about something else? And I didn't understand it because what was going on is we were in a Sunday school class, and they were teaching through the Gospel of Matthew. Of course they were going to be talking about Jesus every week. That's what you do in a Sunday school class. But I didn't get it. And that wasn't, certainly wasn't why I came. And so the reality is I wasn't looking for Jesus. I was looking for some friends. And fortunately for me, I found both. Okay, fortunately for me, I came to try to find some friends, of which I found the greatest friends in the world. The people that I'm close to to this day are some of the people that I met back then. My best friend is a guy that I went to school here with and that I went to church here with. And I was in the youth group here, and we did stupid things and got in trouble with our youth pastor all the time. 
okay? That's one of the things that I thought I was good at as a youth pastor. I was very forgiving with stupid children. Why? Because I had been one, okay? So I understood. And so again, I didn't come here to find Jesus, but I did. And, and you know, we haven't changed too much from the people that were around 2,000 years ago. Matter of fact, when Jesus was walking around, people came to Jesus for all different kinds of reasons. There were people that came to Jesus because they were like, man, I heard that Jesus can heal me. And so they came to Jesus not looking to serve him, but they came to Jesus looking for a healing. And then there were probably people who heard that Jesus was healing people, and they're like, I want to see Jesus healing people. So they came to Jesus to see Jesus heal people. I'm guessing that after Jesus fed the 5,000, that there were people in the crowds that came after Jesus that were only there because they were looking for a meal. And some, kind of, some people, you know, they were going because, man, maybe, maybe we heard that this guy, Jesus, might be the Messiah. And so they wanted to go and they wanted to hear him. Others maybe went to go hear Jesus so they could prove that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And then there's some people and maybe some of you are like this, some people will just go anywhere where there's a crowd. And so that's why they went to Jesus. There's a lot of people there. I must, I must go, okay? And so there's all different kinds of reasons why people came to Jesus. But whatever the reason, Jesus always drew a crowd wherever he was. And as we look through the Gospels, we see Jesus interacting with people. We see Jesus interacting with people that were very, very different from one another. We see Jesus interacting with people that are on, on one side of society or on the other side of society. He, he mixed with everybody. And so we're going to look at one of those stories today. If you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If you don't have your Bible and you, you'd like one to, look, to follow along, uh, go ahead and uh, raise your hand and one of our ushers will pass them out. Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, it says this, and we're going to go through verse 50. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go 
and peace. You know, one of the first things I want us to notice about this passage is this, is that, you know, Jesus will eat with anyone, okay? In, in verse 36, we know why Jesus went to eat at this Pharisee's house. He went because he was invited. That's the simple answer. Um, I, I think it's interesting to me that, that this guy would invite Jesus over to his house because what I want to know is what was the motive behind inviting Jesus to his house for this meal? Like, did he really want to know what Jesus had to say? Did he really want to know what Jesus was teaching? Or, or did he simply invite Jesus over in order to try to, try to trap him in what he was going to say and what he was going to do? Because the truth is, as we read through the Gospels, the Pharisees didn't care so much for the teaching of Jesus. The Pharisees were threatened by Jesus. And, and they were threatened by the fact that the crowds were following Jesus. Because the people that were following Jesus were probably people that had been following these Pharisees around. So we don't really know why the invitation was given, but the guy invited Jesus and he went. If you remember last week, last week Pastor Rob spoke and it was in Luke chapter 5 verses 17 through 26. And so in the story last week, Jesus is in this house and it's crowded and you can't get to Jesus and this guy that was paralyzed and he couldn't get to Jesus, his friends couldn't get him there and so they dug a hole in the roof they dropped him down before Jesus. Jesus heals him. Jesus talks about forgiving his sins. Okay, you guys remember that? Okay, good. Pastor Rob will be happy if you remember that. But the story right after that is another story about eating with Jesus. Okay, so in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27, it says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so in these two chapters of Luke, we have, the, we have two examples of Jesus having dinner or having a meal with people. One side, you have the Pharisee inviting Jesus over. He's a leader in the Jewish community. In the other story, you have Levi, who's a tax collector. Okay, now, now we don't really have uh, Pharisees these days. Um, we do still have tax collectors. And let's be honest, none of us like tax collectors, do we? Okay, like people that are coming for your money, nobody likes them. I apologize if any of you do that for a living. Okay, but anyway... Nobody cared for a tax collector, but especially these, these Jewish people didn't care for this tax collector because he was a Jew who had sold out his own people in order to get some money from the Romans. And, and so you have this, like I said, you have Pharisee who's on one side of society. You have this tax collector who is on the other side of society. And what does Jesus do with both of them? He responds to their invitations by saying yes. They invite him for dinner, and he comes. He's willing to have dinner. To me as I think about that, like it's so easy to skip over things like this. But to me, it's so important because it's a reminder to us. It's saying, that's Jesus saying, hey, listen, everybody is important to me. Everybody is important to me. It doesn't matter on which end of the scales you're on, everyone is important to me. Like probably the most popular verse in the Bible, around 3.16. It doesn't say for God so loved some of the people in the world, for God so loved the people that, that choose to follow me, it says, for God so loved the world. I don't know if you ever think about this, but God loves everybody. He, he loves you, those of you that are sitting in church right now, and he loves that person across the street that is still laying in their bed and didn't even think about getting out of bed and going to church today. 
God loves us all. Um, and God's love isn't limited to those of us who put our faith in him. Hey, God loves those people that not only haven't put their faith in him, but they're, they're like against what we're doing. They don't like what we're doing. You know what hasn't changed? God's love. God's love for those people hasn't changed at all. Um, and, you know, we need to remember that. And we need to respond in the right way to people that think differently than us or act differently than us. Um, we can't control how the world treats us, but we certainly can't control how we treat the world around us. We can't control what anybody else does, but we can control what we do. Um, I don't know this person. I know that um, I know that she's a, a comedian or an actress or something like that. But this week I read something that was really disturbing. I had read somewhere um, that there is a actress. I assume that's what she is, named Sarah Silverman. And I don't know her at all. I don't know. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about her. Okay. But what I heard was that there was some pastor in Florida who just said some really horrible things about her. And remember. I don't care what Sarah Silverman has ever said or done. This pastor said some horrible things about her, of which I'm led to believe he said something so strong as, like, I wish God would kill you, or something to that effect. And again, I don't know Sarah Silverman. I wouldn't know her if she walked in the room right now. But I was horrified that the idea that there would be a pastor, someone calling themselves a pastor, that would think it would be okay to say something like that. Because what I know to be true is this, that God loves Sarah Silverman. He loves her. He's not sitting up there waiting to bust her. You know what he wants more than anything else? He wants her to come to him. That should be what we're sharing with the world around us. I don't know that guy in Florida, but if I could have a few words with him, I'd have a few words with him, okay, if you know what I mean? Because that isn't the way we as a church should be. That might be the way the world treats people, that might be the way worldly people should treat people. But Jesus said that we are to love one another. Jesus said that the world would know us by our love. That's not a reflection of God's love. And so I don't know who, you know, that, that, those persons, those people are in your life, those people that are difficult for you to love. It could be someone that you work with. Um, it could be, like in this case, some outspoken celebrity that you just can't stand and you wish would stay off social media, you know. Uh, it could just be someone that you just don't get along with. And my challenge for us this morning is to love those people, to care for those people. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you have enemies, go ahead and spite them. You know, it doesn't go ahead and, and do something mean to them. Jesus said that we are supposed to love and pray for our enemies. That's the kind of people we're supposed to be. Let's go back to our story in Luke chapter 7. Because not only in the gospel do we see this differentiation between the Pharisee um, and, and, and the, the tax collector. But in our own story, we see we have this Pharisee, and then we have this woman who all we know is it says that she is a well-known sinner. How would you like to be that you, you know, for that to be you in West Hills? You know, you're walking around, oh, that's a well-known sinner, okay? Um, you know, but so the, the reality is it says we have this woman who it says this about her sinful life, and we don't really know why it says that about her. What it probably means is that she is a Jewish woman who didn't practice the law. She's a Jewish woman who didn't tithe. She didn't observe, you know, the Sabbaths or, or, or the festivals or any of that stuff. We just know that they, they consider her to be a sinner. And, and we don't really have to know a lot about her. She'd be in the same category as Levi, the tax collector. Um, and yet, 
You know, this, this series is called Metaphors. It's on, the, it's on the screen right there. I still don't know what a metaphor is. I'm very thankful to the English teacher who explained to me in between first and second service what a metaphor is, okay? And actually, in fairness to him, he did it really well, okay? Like, I appreciated what he had to say because he, he actually, it made sense. Uh, I still don't know what a metaphor is. I'm not sure that empty the jar is a metaphor. We're just going to call it a phrase here this morning, okay? Because that's what this woman does in this story. She empties the jar. She literally empties the jar. Jesus goes to this dinner. The sinful woman comes in, and she's a sinful woman, but she does nothing but honor Jesus while she's at this dinner. It tells us that she comes and she weeps at Jesus' feet. It tells us that she is literally cleaning Jesus' feet with the tears from her eyes. Think about how many tears you have to be crying in order to wash someone's feet with them. And she's using her tears and her hair to wash the feet of Jesus. And then she pours this jar of perfume, which I can only assume was not cheap. Okay, She, she pours this jar of perfume on Jesus' feet. She comes into the presence of Jesus and she can't but help but recognize her sinfulness and his holiness. Like I said, she's emptying the jar. But the reality is, she's recognizing something that every single person in that room should have recognized. Like, like she's noticed, she sees the truth of who they all are. Okay, because the Bible tells us that she was a sinner, but the reality was everybody in that room was a sinner. Uh, um, one of the things that I, I noticed this week as I was reading through this is it's dangerous. <laughs> we, we need to be careful about what we think. Okay, and I'll mention this again later on, but this is the second story in a row where Jesus responds to somebody's thinking. Okay, because Jesus, this guy, is, this, this Pharisee is thinking something about Jesus, and Jesus responds to it. How scary would that be? Like, I'm looking at all of you right now. Okay, and I know what some of you are thinking. No, I don't actually know what any of you are thinking. But imagine if I did. Like, imagine if I responded exactly right now to what you're thinking. And no, Virgil, I will not close the sermon right now. Okay. But just imagine, just imagine if Jesus did that to you, like how amazing and horrifying that would be all at the same time. But this guy said, hey, if this guy really were a prophet, he would know what kind of person is doing this to him. And so Jesus tells him the story, he tells the story about two people who owe money. One owes 500 denarii, which in my Bible just says that's a day's wage. That's a lot of money. Okay. Another one owes 50 denarii, which is not an insignificant amount of money, but nowhere near as much as 500 and so Jesus tells the story. He says, hey, listen, neither one of them could pay their debt. And so the moneylender comes, forgives them of their debt. Who's going to love them more? Well, of course, in the story, this person who owns 500 denarii is going to love them more. But, but I think it's like, it's not a trick question because it's not a question, but it's kind of a tricky story that Jesus is telling us. It's kind of a tricky story because the reality is we should see ourselves in that story. He's telling that story to make a point to not only the Pharisee, but to us as well, is, you know what? We're all sinners in need of forgiveness. We're all sinners in need of forgiveness, just as much as that poor woman who comes to this dinner and is labeled a sinner. Because Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you read those passages that lead up to Romans 3.23, it's clear that, that Paul is saying, man, we are all messed up. Like that's what those verses are saying. 
But it isn't just that. You know, in James chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, this is important because how many sins does it take to make us a sinner? It just takes one. It just takes one. James 2, verses 9 through 11 says, But if you show favoritism, your sin and if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. If we stumble at just one point, we're guilty of breaking all of it. And this is why this is so important for me, I think. Because the reality is that poor woman who was labeled a sinner was not any worse than anybody else in the room, other than Jesus, of course. Do you understand? She was not truly any more or less a sinner than anybody else that was there. And so we all need to be reminded, hey, you know what? I am a sinner saved by God's grace. I, on my own, can't do anything to make me special. Everything that is special about me is because of what God has already done for me. And so we as Christians need to be very careful. And I'll mention this again later, but we should be very careful because as Christians today, 2,000 years later, we are the people most likely to be like that first century Pharisee. We are the one most likely to be like that first century Pharisee who's standing back, judging everybody else on what they're doing and acting like we're superior to them. When what we need to remember is that we are all sinners saved by God's grace. Hopefully, we're all doing the very best that we can to live the way God wants us to. Like, hopefully, we're working hard each day to try to be the person that God wants us to be. But even if we are doing that, and even if we're somewhat successful, we're still sinners in need of God's grace. And I recognize that. For me, I'm not special because I, I, I'm... I'm anything, I'm special because of what God has done for me. So as we look to this story, um, again, it's very easy for us to, to develop some negative opinions on those Pharisees. But again, it's, in truth, we as the church ought to be careful that we're not doing that. So this woman literally emptied the jar. She covers Jesus' feet with her tears. She wipes his feet down with her hair. She pours this perfume on him. So what are some things that we can learn or some practical application for this story, from this story for us today. The first thing I want to mention is, hey, you know, we should be careful what we think. Okay? Be careful what we think, because I don't know what you're thinking. Virgil wants me to go on forever in reality. Okay? He doesn't want me to stop. But I don't know what you're thinking, but you know God knows what we're thinking. Okay? We should be very careful about what we think and how we spend our time, you know, because God cares. God cares about what we're dwelling on. Um, secondly, and we didn't even get a chance to talk about this, but all through the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus breaking down the barriers that separated people in his society. Jesus is constantly breaking down the barriers. Um, Luke just talks about this over and over again, because in Jesus' day, there was definitely an in crowd and an out crowd. There were definitely people who were considered blessed by God, and there were definitely people that were considered not blessed by God. And you know what? Jesus loved those people that his society said were not blessed by him. And Jesus showed that that wasn't true. Because if you were poor, you were, you were obviously not blessed by God. Uh, that was the mindset of the time. If you were sick, you clearly had not been blessed by God. If you were not the right race, you had not been blessed by God. If you were a woman, you certainly were not blessed by God. 
And if you didn't practice your religion the right way, you were not blessed by God. And Jesus comes down and he breaks all those barriers. He's like, no, guys, that isn't true. That isn't true. Okay? Being poor is not, uh, is not a sign that God hasn't blessed you. Just like being wealthy isn't a sign that God has blessed you. The reality is God has blessed every single one of us, and God loves each and every one of us. And so Jesus goes through in the Gospels, you read him breaking down barrier after barrier. The third thing I want to notice in here is that, you know, we need to ask God to help remove the pride in our life. You know, the Pharisee is a symbol of pride for us. This woman is a a symbol of humility. And you and I need to be more like that woman and less like that Pharisee. And I really believe that the the center of of, of all of our conflict and all of our strife is pride. Isn't Isn't that the source of every fight and every argument and every disagreement is our pride? And so like this woman who humbled herself, we need to come before God and say, God, help remove that pride from my life. The fourth thing is, is this idea of just submit ourselves or submit ourselves to God's plan for our life. I really believe that God has a plan for each one of us, okay? Not necessarily like what, how you're going to dress today or, or whatever, stuff like that, but God has a plan for how he wants us to live. And what, what's most important to that is our willingness to submit ourselves, to humbly submit ourselves to God's plan. The last thing, the last one of these things that I want you to remember is this, is, and I mentioned this already, is just a reminder and to remind yourself daily that as a sinner, I'm no better or no worse than anyone else. That as a sinner, you're no better or no worse than anyone else. We all need God's grace. And like I said, as Christians, it's so easy for us to be those people that are just like the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to in these stories. It's easy for us to be arrogant and to think we're better than the people around us, and we just aren't. Uh, this, this week I was reading a, a couple books, and this is what this author said about this point. It says, The story of the sinful woman teaches a crucial lesson about the depth of love for God. The greater our sense that God has dealt with us in mercy, the greater love we will have for him in return. If our love of God is cold, it may well be because we have come to think he owes it to us, not that he paid our debt. The gospel is like a banker walking up to us when we can't pay our mortgage. Rather than foreclosing, he writes a check that pays off the debt. If you met a banker like that, you would always be grateful to him and tell your friends about him. Isn't that true? Like if we met someone right now who paid off our house, would you not love that person forever? Like every single time you ever saw them, you would love them, okay? That's true. But God is that spiritual banker who has paid our debt of sin through Jesus. The deeper we realize that he has dealt with us out of mercy in the midst of our disobedience, the greater will be our response of love. It's dangerous to see ourselves as little sinners, as the Pharisees did. Like if we compare ourselves to the world around us, it's easy to see ourselves as just a little sinner. But there isn't any such thing. Rather, we should see ourselves as unworthy objects of God's rich grace, as this woman did. We should be thankful this morning for God's incredibly rich grace. I don't know why you came to church today. I don't even care why you came to church today. I'm just glad that you came to church today. Okay? And and my hope is that we could all learn to, to know and to experience God just like that woman in Luke chapter 7. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. 
for your incredible example to us. Lord, I pray that you would um, just humble us, Lord, in our, in our pride and our arrogance. Lord, I pray that you would humble us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be like this woman, like this simple woman. We just laid it all at your feet. I pray that that would be our attitude right now. I pray that that would be our attitude tomorrow. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. You forget all my rebellions.